Good morning, good morning. I said it twice, now you guys didn't say it twice. Let's try it again. Good morning, good morning. I thought that was going to be much cooler than it was. It was not. Um, hey, welcome to Life Community Church. My name is Brett Machat, uh, and we are happy to have you here. Why don't you guys stand? Uh, relationships are very important to us here at Life Community Church. It's almost like community is in our name. Uh, so why don't you look for somebody around you? Maybe it's somebody you know, somebody you don't know, somebody you haven't seen in a while. Introduce yourself. Tell them good, no good, good morning. Oh, my. Good morning, and ask them how their week was. You all can stay standing for, for a little bit longer. Uh, when Jesus led the disciples in communion, the symbolic breaking of bread and the drinking of wine, he also led them in the washing of each other's feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more cringe-inducing or gross or, or humbling than washing another person's feet. And that is in today's culture where we have shoes and socks that we wear. Back in Jesus' time, people wore sandals. This meant that their feet were exposed to dirt, to sand, to excrement. I know it's gross, but it's true. And other many nasty other things. And Jesus knew all this, which is why it is important for us to at least observe the significance of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Now, side note, if you haven't caught on, we're not actually washing feet today. I know so I see some of you shifting and everything, so you can take a deep sigh of relief. Um, however, uh, we are going to read a little bit uh, from John 13 and where we find all of this and reflect on it. So in John 13, it says this, paraphrasing, it says, Jesus rose from supper and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus knew and he still knows that because of sin, we struggle with humility. We don't always naturally choose selflessness over selfishness. I'll say that one more time. We don't always naturally choose selflessness over selfishness. So Jesus gave us an example, a reminder, to be humble and serve others. He washed the feet of those close to him and encouraged them to do the same to others. Along with this, he also gave his disciples and us a practical way to remember and reflect upon his great sacrifice for us. Looking to Mark 14, we see the continuation of the dinner. It says this, verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, for this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In just a moment, we're going to give you all some time to grab the elements, grab the bread and the juice. And once you have them, you can head back to your seats, but don't take them just yet. We'll do that together. Instead, we want to invite you to take a moment and reflect on the Lord's sacrifice on the cross, but also think about the ways that God could use you to wash someone else's feet in your life. Maybe it means physically washing their feet. Probably not. Maybe it means serving them in a way that takes you out of your comfort zone, something that is not easy or convenient for you. And taking communion is important to God, and it's something that he set aside exclusively for his followers. So we leave it up to you to decide if you or your children, if they're here with you, uh, are ready to participate with us together this morning. All right, let's grab the bread and juice. Thank you for sitting in the silence uh, together with us this morning. Usually we have music, whether it's piano or acoustic guitar or something. Um, but I think there's something really special about sitting in silence together as a group of people, especially when we have uh, such an amazing uh, God to reflect on. All right, let's grab the bread and the cup. Looking back at the passage in Mark, it says, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. Let's eat together. Hold the juice. And continuing on the passage, it says, And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's drink the cup together. thank you for who you are. We thank you for bringing us here in this moment. God, we thank you for providing us with a space, a building, and, and a body of believers who want to be with you, Lord. We ask that you take away any feelings of worthlessness or doubt. God, help us not to trust in ourselves. Help us to look to you as the only one who can save us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for 
your sacrifice on the cross and everything that it means for us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life because of our faith in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. God, we worship you this morning. We worship you alone. We praise you for everything that you are. And it's in your name that we all say and pray. Amen. Kids, thank you for joining us this morning for our worship. You are dismissed to Kids Life. We'll see you later. And so good to be with you and to worship with you. Um, my name is Tom. I'm the teaching pastor here, but um, I'm not teaching today. Uh, but I am here to share some announcements. They kind of keep me in the loop. So you're going to want to double check on most of what I tell you this morning. Um, it may or may not be fully accurate, but at least portions of this are true. The first thing is that uh, we, we're in this series. We're talking about um, postures that we take towards our relationship with God, places where, where his power moves through us and flows in us and, and we connect with him. And last week we talked about sharing our faith, the posture of sharing with others. And um, we do that locally. We've been focusing on our neighbors around here, but also we have a missions partner in Honduras. And today after the service, yes, there is a meeting in the youth area just that way. Um, uh, if you're interested in a, in a trip uh, to, to, to go to Honduras or you're interested in the ministry that we have going on there, there's a meeting after the service. The second thing is that um, next Sunday is a first Sunday, and it also happens to be the first Sunday of May, if I'm right on this. Um, yep, my calendar game is strong. So first Sunday lunch, next Sunday, um, we would love for you to go to mylcc.info. First, be here, okay? Like, be here. Um, if, you're, if you're on the live stream, uh, for whatever reason this morning, you need to be here next week. We're going to have great food, but we do need some help. Um, I believe that meat is being provided for tacos. Am I, is that correct? Yeah, I got a thumbs up. Okay. So um, the meat is being provided for tacos, but we need people to bring all kinds of sides and different things to, to dress those tacos. So come do that. Um, sign up there, then come and eat. Third thing, okay? Third thing is that um, we've begun these renew classes. Um, the one we're in right now is a class focused on uh, the writing and, and, and different things about C.S. Lewis. And um, it, we, we, met our, we met a few weeks ago and discussed his book, The Screwtape Letters. Um, and I've had like, some people ask questions like, well, I missed the first one. That is great because actually every one of these in the C.S. Lewis section are, um, are standalone. You could come to one, you could come to the remaining three, whatever. Uh, but we would love to have you come out. Um, this Wednesday, uh, we're going to be uh, discussing the book, Mere Christianity. It's an absolute classic, okay? Um, it's an absolute classic. And you may say, like, I can't, I mean, Tom, that's like a big old thick thing. I can't read it by Wednesday. Uh, okay, maybe a chapter or two. I don't know. Not like the, it's a very low bar for attendance on Wednesday night. Just, just kind of come out. Um, but, but the real opportunity is at the end of the month, um, the end of the month uh, of May, we're doing the book, The Great Divorce. And I'm just, I just want to tear down some of those excuses. This whole thing is about mm, 140 pages. Okay? And look, wait, I'm going to show it to you. It's like very few words on each of those 140 pages. You can do this one. Okay? Um, it is a fascinating uh, story about a bus ride from hell to heaven. Okay? And what happens when the ghosts from hell arrive on the outskirts of heaven and, and the people that greet them there and the conversations that they have. And, and really it asks this question, like, why do we choose hell? Okay? Like, when heaven is available to us, why do we choose hell? It's a pertinent question for every day in our life. So I want to encourage you, if you have been kind of sitting these out or, 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 or not, uh, um, you know, just 
kind of wondering like, what's this about? And this is, that is a great place for you to, to check out. I know May can get busy for us, but you can do this one. It's Wednesday. I think it's May 24th on that one. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call John up here. Um, I mentioned I'm not speaking this morning. You know, we have uh, lay people around here, which is just folks that are part of our body. Um, they, they lead in our teaching ministry, and this is John, and John is going to continue our series today talking about something, a posture that is extremely important in all of our lives, but especially around here at Life Community. And let me pray for him before he begins. God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to um, share it with one another. We ask uh, now that, uh, that, Spirit, you would speak through John. Um, help us to, to hear you, God, um, this morning. And um, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Tom. <clears throat> Good morning. Well, as uh, Tom said, I'm one of the lay people. And uh, uh, Tom did a great job of explaining uh, what our, our series is right now. Uh, and so... Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll skip that part. But one of the things that Tom mentioned last week that uh, I thought was really good was that this series is a good time to self-reflect. You know, as we go through each one of these postures, it's a good time to look ourselves in a mirror and say, you know, to ask ourselves, does my life really look like this? And uh, just to do some honest self-reflection in those areas. So we started the passage, or excuse me, the series with uh, talking about how disciples of Jesus Christ abide in the vine. And that's really where it starts. It's kind of foundational, you know, because the vine is where we receive our sustenance, our nutrients, our power from Jesus. And if we're not connected to him personally, it's very difficult to connect with others and to live out these other postures in our life. And then Tom talked last week about sharing our faith, as he mentioned, and um, being ready to give a testimony Peter tells us that uh, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And so I took a class long ago uh, about sharing our faith. And the first thing that we were asked to do was to give our testimony within 30 seconds. And everybody in the class failed. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever thought about that or if you've ever tried to do that. Maybe uh, you can practice that as you're driving or something. It's very difficult to do. Or have you thought about, you know, do you have a testimony? You know, do you, have you thought about how your life is different now than it was before Jesus? And I would just encourage you to, uh, to figure out how you might talk about that. Not to you know, memorize something, but to, uh, to think about it and to know how you might describe that to somebody in the event that you might be asked to. So uh, we are today, we're going to be talking about how do we love one another in an environment of close community so that it looks, we look different than the world? And uh, I was given a passage, suggested a passage, um, and I went rogue and picked my own. And um, uh, so this word, one another, is used 110 times in the New Testament, and 59 of them are directed directly to the disciples or to the church. And it's the last command that God gives, or excuse me, that Jesus gives the disciples at the Last Supper. So it must be kind of a big deal. So here's where we're at. John 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
So the first thing, this kind of reminded me of, you know, my parents when I'd be fighting with my sisters, and they'd say, you two better get along or else. But Jesus doesn't just command us to love one another. Because he loves us, he shows us how to do that. And so that's our question today, is how do we love one another in a way that shows others the love of Christ? And the truth is, it's, it's hard. And the reason why it's hard is that there are several forces that push against us, you know, that, that, that resist this type of community. And I'm just going to talk about a couple of them today. The first one, really, and I think the biggest one, is our human nature, right? The Bible tells us that we have a sin nature that is wired within us from birth. It's in our DNA. Naturally, uh, we are self-focused, and we're, we're, we're selfish. And so anybody that has... Uh, ask a two-year-old or a toddler to share their toy completely understands this, right? Um, I am a self-centered person. I'm a selfish person by nature, you know? I would prefer to be loved than give love. I'm actually better at receiving love than I am at giving it. You know, I would, my desire is to, you know, come home at the end of the day and have my wife cheerfully greet me when I come in and ask me how my day was. At which point I would, you know, dump on her all the garbage that happened to me that day while she listens intently and with empathy and encouragement. And then I would like for her to show her appreciation and speak her appreciation for how hard I work. And then ask me if there's anything particular that I need at that moment. So I, I would like for my kids, actually, to sit around me and ask me to tell them the same stories that I've told them over and over again, and then thank me for that and for the little nuggets of wisdom that I've bestowed upon them. So it, it, it's, it's hard, and um, in, in, we also, you know, I want to know that I belong that I have people that like me, that accept me for who I am, people that I feel safe with. And we've all experienced this. We learned this a, a very long time ago. We learned this in the high school cafeteria. And if you remember, when you came out of the lunch line with your tray in your hand, and you look around that room, you, remember, you better have a place to sit down. You better have a table to sit at or a group that you can sit with because nobody wanted to be that person standing in the middle of the cafeteria going like this. You know, it's, it's embarrassing and, and isolating. And so I've brought, I've included today a brief clip of classic American cinema, which is one of my favorite things to do, that illustrate this. And you may recognize Having lunch with the plastics was like leaving the actual world and entering girl world. And girl world had a lot of rules. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. Well, I mean, not just you, like any of us. Okay, like if I was wearing jeans today, I would be sitting over there with the art freaks. Oh, and we always vote before we ask someone to eat lunch with us because you have to be considerate of the rest of the group. 
Well, I mean, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looks good on you. I wouldn't? Right. Oh, and it's the same with guys. Like, you may think you like someone, but you could be wrong. So, have you seen any guys that you think you're cute yet? Well, there's this guy in my calculus class. Who is it? It's a senior. His name's Aaron Samuels. <gasps> no. No. No, no, oh, no. You can't like Aaron Samuels. That's Regina's ex-boyfriend. They went out for a year. Yeah, and then she was devastated when he broke up with her last summer. I thought she dumped him for Shane Oman. Okay, irregardless, ex-boyfriends are just off-limits to friends. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. Don't worry. I'll never tell Regina what you said. It'll be our little secret. What I love about this is um, this is a, it's kind of a metaphor uh, for today's culture. And it's very similar. It's like we have these groups, these, these sets of rules that we follow uh, and with, the, with the people that we hang out with. And we gravitate towards one another with, uh, or towards people with similar interests, with the same political views, the same social status. And we still kind of create these cafeteria tables of people just like us. And... I think one of the reasons, my opinion, one of the reasons this movie is so popular uh, is, number one, it's, it's funny, but um, it's because Katie blows up, the main character, she blows that entire premise up. And we love that, I think. All of us uh, want a world where everyone is accepted. We want to live in that kind of world where everyone can just love one another and not be separated and divided. And so they're, they're, uh, the other reason uh, that I think, uh, the other thing that, is, uh, that I want to talk about that's working against us is that we uh, live in a culture that is moving more and more towards individualism. You know, we have this self-help phenomenon, you know, being a better you, reaching your goals, getting stronger, smarter, richer, thinner, no matter what it is, whatever, however it is that you want to be a better you, there's somebody on YouTube that is, you know, is, uh, would love to take your money and help you with that. And, uh, but I think the biggest thing really is uh, that, uh, that worries me is we are now in this selfie social media era and we're, we're deeply entrenched in it. So I'll give you a couple statistics to begin with. Um, depression and anxiety in Gen Z girls, so that's under 25, Gen Z girls shot up dramatically in 2012. It was pretty level up to that point, and then all of a sudden, boom, it went up. The American Psychological Association says by 2020, eight years later, 46% of Gen Z girls self-reported major depression, and 60% said that they had uh, a major anxiety. Uh, emergency room admissions for injury from self-harming doubled from 2012 to 2020. So what happened in 2012? Well, that was the year that Facebook bought Instagram. And the, also the iPhone, Apple brought out the iPhone 5, and it had a, a really new and improved camera that pointed back to the user. And so then the selfie generation was born, and Real relationships lost ground, serious ground, to connections and followers and likes and things like that. So you may be wondering, well, what about the boys? Well, the boys weren't 
ex affected nearly as, uh, as badly because boys tended to use technology to compete each, against each other, you know, gaming and things like that. And so anytime boys are competing against each other, that's, you know, a fairly healthy activity. But it's different for the girls because the girls uh, are visual. And so on social media, we, we t and Instagram and all that, we, wanna, we tend to present ourselves as what we want people to see. You know, we want to look perfect. And then we put that out there, and then somebody else posts something that's more perfect than our perfect. And that brings about the anxiety and the depression. I have a sister who lives out in Idaho, and I have one in Texas, I have one in St. Louis, and we're all over the place. So we keep in touch with each other through Facebook. And, um, but the one out in Idaho, she lives in this beautiful setting. Uh, she, you can see the Tetons from her house, and she's 30 minutes from Yellowstone. And she is always posting these pictures of them doing these wonderful outdoor activities. You know, she's got about 15 grandkids, so she's always pitching, uh, posting those pictures on how beautiful and, and, and wonderful they are. You know, and we'll get these, these shots of, you know, them <coughs> um, cross-country skiing uh, through the woods with the sunlight shining down, or they'll be riding horseback into the mountains to hunt for elk, you know, with their bare hands. And um, the rest of us, see this, and the, the running joke is like, we stink our life, you know, we want her life, it's so wonderful. And so, uh, the research, though, there is a little bit, and I'll get off my soapbox with the uh, social media here, there's, there's research that shows that Gen Z, a lot of it, Gen Z is in trouble, the 25 and under generation. It shows that their relational skills are are not as good as the previous generations and that they're also probably not going to be as productive. So, and I'm sorry if you're Gen Z, I'm not picking on you. It's, that's, the research, that's the data. So, how do we overcome then this self-focused human nature? And how do we under, overcome this culture of individualism? And Jesus' answer to that is love. Now, this might sound oversimplistic, it might even sound trite, but let's dig into it. And to understand what love is, we need to start with what love is not. And so I wanted to go around and ask people you know, with a camera and say, what is love, and compile all of these different answers and put it together. I thought that would be interesting to see, to show us how subjective it is. But I had a really busy week and I, I couldn't get to that, so I... I went to the next best resource, which is artificial intelligence. And you might have heard the buzz going around recently about artificial intelligence. And if you're not familiar, if you're, maybe if you're too old to remember, you probably remember the 2001 Odyssey movie. Well, that's what it is. So it, it, um, <laughs> artificial intelligence goes out instantly and, and pulls in and looks and analyzes all the information that's out there on the internet, compiles it all together in a nice, clean, couple paragraphs, perfect answer, and it does all that in a couple seconds. It's pretty amazing. So I went to ChatGBT and I typed in, what is love? And this is the answer that it gave me. Love is a complex and multifaceted emotion that can be difficult to define. 
It generally refers to a deep affection or connection that one person feels for another, which can manifest in a variety of ways, including emotional, physical, and spiritual bonds. At its core, love involves feelings of care, respect, admiration, and compassion towards another person. Ultimately, love is a deeply personal and subjective experience that can be influenced by many factors, including cultural, social, personal beliefs, and experiences. Well, I read this, and I thought, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good explanation, or it's a pretty good summary of what our culture defines love as. And it makes sense, because it's looking out and all the data out there in the world that the culture has put out there about love, and it's pulling it all together. And if you look at the highlighted areas on that, it's hard to see, is it is based on feelings, on emotions, on self-fulfillment, and it's very, very subjective. So there's no real truth. There's no pattern. And Jesus said, love one another. He teaches us a different kind of love. He said, love one another just as I have loved you. And I want to set the scene here. This is uh, at the Last Supper. And I promise you, Brett and I did not coordinate this. I was sitting up there listening to him talk this morning, and I just thought, boy, this is, it's amazing that he's telling uh, this story about the foot washing. So I figured it must be something that God wants us to hear, right? We'll look at a little bit different angle of it, though. It's the Last Supper. It's the last night that Jesus is spending with his disciples. He knows that in a couple hours, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be deserted, and he's going to be falsely arrested, falsely accused. He's going to be mocked, going to be beaten and tortured, and then be nailed up on a cross and hoisted up in the air where he will experience absolute alienation from God and continue to hang there until he dies. And knowing all of that, he got up from the table and he washed his disciples' feet that Brett so, uh, so wonderfully described this morning. He took on the role of a servant. That job is intended for the lowliest of the low person in the household. Only the slave washes people's feet. And he met their, their true needs. Peter, when he got to Peter, Peter said, no, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you are not, you don't belong to me. You're not one of mine. The master humbled himself, the teacher humbled himself, took on the role of the slave, and he served his disciples to meet their true needs. And so is this foot washing, if we, if we, is it an example? I think if we feel that it's is an example of Jesus' love, we're missing the point. This is the exact pattern, really, of his love, and that's different than an example. When I was a kid, my mom sewed a lot, 
and she would take her fabric and lay it out on her bed, and then she would get this pattern, uh, and it was that weird crinkly paper. She would lay it out on top of the fabric and pin it on all the way around and then cut out the fabric to match the pattern. And she, the pattern, though, she would keep the pattern and use it for different fabrics. Isn't it funny that whenever somebody wore homemade clothing, you can, you can just tell. He'd be like, oh, that's homemade. Anyway, um, <laughs> the pattern of Jesus' love, and that's what he's showing the disciples. The pattern is that we humble ourselves, and we become the servant, and we respond to the true needs of others. The foot washing is the fabric. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If we love like this, Jesus is saying, we will look different than any other community in the world. And this is a type of community where people find healing, where enemies become friends, where conflict leads to deeper relationships, and where people from all walks of life live together in unity, regardless of who you are and regardless of where you come from in the world is searching for this. The world is desperate for this. And they're not finding it. But what breaks my heart sometimes is that the church, sometimes, doesn't look as different from the outside world as we should. I'm going to challenge us on that. Why is it so hard to love this way? Well, the hard part of loving one another is one another. <laughs> we are messy. You know, we're different from each other. We all have our own agendas. We're all kind of weird. You know, we're weird in our own way. You're weird, I'm weird, all of us. And we, when we come in close community with each other, it's kind of like a family. You know, sooner or later, there's going to be some friction when we're that close, and we're going we're gonna to annoy each other and offend each other and hurt each other. And that's just going to happen. If that kind of thing, if that's not happening in our community, then I would say that we are probably not close enough. I have a, a way of annoying my daughter every time we sit at a meal. She it freaks her out to hear the sound of chewing. And there's something about the shape of my head <laughs> that magnifies the sound of whatever's going on in my mouth. Uh, and especially with kettle chips. So, And I wonder, I wonder in our cell group, you know, because we always have kettle chips out there. And I, I, I can never eat them while somebody's talking because I, I can't hear what they're saying. But, uh, but uh, so we are not capable of loving like this on our own because of our humanness. So where do we get the power for this kind of love? And Jesus shows it. It's the cross. The power comes from the cross. See, the cross is Jesus' perfect pattern of love. His entire life 
demonstrates his perfect pattern of his love. Philippians uh, explains that. It says, although he was God, he gave up all of his godly attributes and humbled himself. And in fact, he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross. That is the perfect pattern of his love, and it's supernatural. We receive his supernatural power to love others when we live on the vine. And that's what we started this series with, and that's why I say it's foundational. You know, we need to be living on the vine in order to be loving one another because when we live on the vine, we are living on a love that paid the cost of our sins, that paid for our forgiveness. We are living on a love that heals, heals our wounds and our hurts, and we're living on a love that transforms us, transforms our lives. And when we live on the vine, our drive for self-fulfillment and our fear of being alone and our fear of sacrificing our own desires for the needs of others loses its power of us. And when we're living on the vine, it fills us up so that we can take the role of a servant and respond to the needs of others and bear fruit. That is the fruit from living on the vine. And so there's several other one another passages, but love one another is really the foundational one because it explains the pattern uh, of how we love one another. All of the, uh, the, the love one another passages are really more of the fabrics, I think. I'm going to go ahead and call the band back down here, but let's look at some of these other passages. Whoops, I got ahead of myself. Forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. And so, with the pattern of his love, he paid the price for our forgiveness on the cross, as we've already talked about. And so, how can we accept that for ourselves and not for others. And what, so his sacrifice gives us what we need to lay down our right to demand justice when people hurt us. And I think this is something that happens a lot when we're together and in the body and we're in our cell groups and, and all of that. I think, I think these, these little conflicts happen and, and what's sad is when you know, this happens and we don't, people don't know how to resolve it, so they leave, you know, or they leave the church. Admonish one another because of, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So because of the cross, God now sees us as perfect and holy and righteous. So that allows us to be receptive when somebody is being used, when God lovingly appoints somebody to speak truth to us, maybe something that we need to hear, or when God puts it on our heart to speak truth to somebody else for their benefit, it gives us, our identity gives us what we need to be able to, um, so that we don't fear rejection from that person. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians, so encourage each other and build each other up because our true needs our true needs are met, uh, I'm sorry, I lost myself here, and building, okay. Um, our needs are already met, right? We have, Jesus has already 
uh, provided everything that we truly need on the cross, and that is our forgiveness for our sins and the security of eternity with him. So that gives us what we need. It fills our tank, as we talked about, as I talked about, that we can focus then not on ourselves, but on loving and meeting the needs of others. So confess to one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So because of the cross, we've been acquitted of the penalty of the justice that we deserve for our sins, so we don't have to hide it. And John talks a lot about when we keep our sin to ourselves, we're in the dark. We keep ourselves in the dark. But we bring it into the light before one another, and with the help of one another, we're able to overcome it. When we can confess to one another openly in this kind of environment, it's a safe environment, and we are able to experience God's unconditional love through one another. And that's God's design. You know, our world around us is always fighting. It's divided, it's scary, it's evil. And it's really easy to join in, you know, and rant about all the things that are wrong with the world. And the world has a stereotypical view of Christians that were judgmental. You know, because they, they've seen us. They've seen how the world presents us. We point the fingers at people that aren't living their life the way God says they should live them. We're hypocritical. We've, we've seen great leader after leader fall from grace. And the world loves that. We're divided. You know, there are hundreds of different variations of Christianity. It's like we can't even agree on how we worship together. We make really corny movies starring Kirk Cameron. That doesn't help us. So I'm going to challenge you. Let's blow that up. Let's change that. Let's be like Katie. You know, let's blow that up right here at LCC. And let's be, as Jesus says, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the city on a hill. Let's be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ and attract the lost and the hurting people to him by how we love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing pattern of your love. Thank you, Lord, that that you became the humble servant to meet our need. Help us, God, to, to, to just... Reflect on that and really understand the depth of that. And let us, God, just seek from you the power, from divine, the power to to lay down our our self-righteousness and our selfishness so that we can become the humble slaves ourselves, just like you did, so we can follow your pattern, God. And... uh, Bring to light uh, the needs of others around us so that uh, in our humility and our love for one another that uh, we can meet the true needs of one another and be a community, be a light, Lord, that people look at and just know that there's something different. So will you do that for us, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, thank you that your spirit lives in each of us, that you prompt us when those one another's come up. Um, thank you that unity is found only in you, too. You are bigger than our controversies and our differences. And thank you for the lasting change that you made for us, you made possible on the cross for us. Amen. Hi. Hi. Whoa. Surprise. <laughs> Sorry. Surprise. <laughs> um, I want to introduce Rachel before we go. She's going to spark, hopefully, a moment of curiosity for you. So what could people be curious about? So as uh, Tom said in the beginning, there is a meeting about Honduras today. And if you don't know, sometimes I'm back here. But if not, I'm up here pounding into your heads that we support a whole another church, a whole another body of brothers and sisters in Honduras. And it's that community is ours. So if we don't go and we don't serve them, yes, they get their backpacks. Yes, the Sours are doing things. But, you know, this, this song was perfect. This whole service was perfect to have a servant's heart, to make yourself uncomfortable, to go and serve others and love them and become one. So, if you uh, don't sponsor a kid, look, sponsor a kid. If you sponsor a kid, you definitely should come because you just don't, you just don't understand until you're there. I can't even explain it in words. So uh, if you are interested, uh, come meet me over in the Kids Life room. And if you're just on the edge, I just hope that you're praying about um, how you can be used in that way and if you're supposed to go. Because I wasn't supposed to go. I was never going to go on a mission trip. And this has been my fifth trip. So... <laughs> careful what you pray for, but uh, I'm praying for you. That's it. See you over there in five minutes. <laughs>